welcome to the Productivity Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Julian Niblett today from Inside Ops. Hello, Julian. Hi, Simon. We've known each other for a while. You actually did my second interview when I, I joined Boots those many years ago. And we, we've worked together on many things at Boots and between Rethink and Inside Ops since. Be good for the listeners just to understand a short summary of your career history and how you landed up doing what you're doing today. It's a long time since we first met back at Boots, and, and that's really where most of my career has been. So joined Boots in the late 90s, left in, in 2012. And for most of my time at Boots, I, um, I worked in the retail operations team, you know, many different names, as most retailers call it, something different, operations improvement, retail development. But for seven years, I, I ran the team that looked after all the processes in stores and, and how it could be more effective. So, you know, really great job. Thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, getting a blank piece of paper and a, and a three-year plan to, to sort of map out how you could make stores more efficient. It was it was brilliant. I loved uh, loved every minute of it. Most of it's IT related because the best way you can improve an operation is to use technology. But a lot of non-IT stuff too, you know, how you bank money. But yes, yeah, I so that we also met again. So bizarrely, we we first met when we were I was interviewing you, and then when I I left Boots, I came to see you because you'd started your own business and said, you know, what do you think? And you told me you'll be you'll be fine. And here we are eight years later. So Inside Ops is is my own business, and I I do retail consulting and all the stuff that you know I know and love which is, is how to improve the retail operation all sorts of projects anything from self-checkout strategies or overarching retail operations reviews you know specific challenges that people want to face we want to stockpile or we want to improve the way we take payments but very much retail operations and naming the business inside ops was one of the more difficult things. It's very difficult to think of a good name. People like it. But for me, it was about how can I help people with their retail operation? Yeah, eight years on, still going strong. So I'm really enjoying it. Good. So we're going to focus today around that operational piece. So primarily stock and checkouts. Over the years, you've been going eight years, we've been going nine. Lots of people have been revisiting their stock systems, their EPOS systems. There seems to be that cyclical trend of technology advances, cost of ownership kind of goes down. So it, it's not as big a journey to swap in and out. When you're working with businesses, what are the most common stock system problems you tend to come across? And then we'll, we'll look at checkouts. Yeah, sure, no problem. I, I think one of the big things I, I see is one is compliance. I think most retailers that I've worked with will will just say, "Gosh, if we could just get all the processes delivered the way we want, you know, we'd just get fantastic results." And so I think compliance is 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 one area where where I see that there's always room for improvement. But why is there? you know, varying levels of compliance. And often it's because the processes themselves have just not changed. I still am gobsmacked by some of the things I see in retail. And I think the stock part of, of the store operation does does often get neglected. You know, there's a lot of work done in the warehouses, a lot of work getting stock to store efficiently, putting it to shelf. But then when you're maintaining it, how are you counting your stock? What does the uh, what does the software look like that you're using? Is the UI and the processes, you know, are they set up in a way that it makes things easy to do? And are they joined up? Can you do concurrent? tasks is are there tasks that are being eliminated so i tend to find that they're, they're kind of low down on people's radar centrally but when you look at the processes that people are doing day in and day out often they're just not well designed and they're not modern there's so many retailers still using very very old systems and there is a lot of benefit to be gained by, by moving to something more modern so i don't think things have changed much so that's one of the things that i think is a common problem is that it's worked but if you look at it now it needs to be 
more modern, simpler to use, which will help with compliance. And it just needs to come up the radar a little bit. You know, I think everybody has a view on self-checkout. Everybody has a view on contactless. Everybody has a view on how customers use an app. But if you asked a retail exec, you know, what their processes were installed, do they have a model day? How do they do it? Most people don't know that. So I think having a having a really good routine that's really simple, using really simple, easy to use software, you do those things and you get a much better result. And I think it just needs some tweaking for a lot of businesses just to move to a, a better model. That feels like the common problem. There's, there's too much activity. There's not a, a simple routine. Most of the software isn't, isn't really up to scratch. And, and in the vendor community, there's so many EPOS vendors, Simon, you, you know, you'll know this, but if you want to buy a good stock management solution for how you count, there's very, very few. If you go to any of the retail shows, you don't often see them or you see some companies who, are, who have got a POS solution, who've built one. They don't, look, they don't look that great. So the market's not particularly strong. So I, I think there's a, there's a lot of value improving the stock operation, but those, those are the problems that I, that I see. Lots of paper still around and lots of people walking, that ineffective walking, we call it, where they'll walk to a fixture and count it, walk back and restock it, walk back and check the overs on the shelf above. Yeah, and I think that's just where you've got to look at how you can join processes up. So some of the work I've done is, you know, developing concurrent tasks. So how can you, you know, so for for one retailer, I've created a task, you know, where you can do a price check, a fill up, a shelf edge label print, account, all at the same time and access relevant, you know, product information or customer information. And it's it's really simple and intuitive. In some processes, you, you've got to step out into a different process to, to, to get the information or you have to print something out and just some smart thinking but i do still see paper uh, there shouldn't really be paper anymore eliminate paper and have some smarter processing in place because there is still too much walking and i'll give you a, you know really a really good example that, that i see is that you know for a lot of gap lists um you know people will scan a line on the shelf and, and you know they've counted zero and then they'll go and count in the stock room and they're going through the same list so you think about a really big retailer, they might have, you know, hundreds of gaps. And then somebody's looking through a paper list of those hundreds or, or an electronic list of those hundreds. And really, the smart thing to do is say, look, if the stock falls zero and you've got none on the shelf, don't put it in that list and go and look for it. Because what you're asking people to do is hunt for something that isn't there in the vast, vast majority of cases. And you can pick up any errors through different processes. But just a bit of smart thinking can really make those processes smaller. So even if you've still got paper, you know, there's some retailers out there that still don't have Wi-Fi and have got dock and transmit processes for, for managing their stock using handhelds. Well, you can still have some smart processing. You know, don't get people to look for stuff that probably isn't there. If the stock falls to zero and there's none on the shelf, it's very unlikely to be in the stock room. Putting that kind of change in place, you know, could save 90% of the time you're spending in the stock room. And that's worth more than finding a line through that process when you can find it through others. So... I think there's a lot of ways you can reduce paper. There's a lot of ways you can reduce, you know, walk time and look time and count time. So there you go. There's a freebie. Um, that's a, that, that's that's worth a bit of money to anyone listening to if they put that in place. So needle in a haystack. It's interesting that you talk about people gathering data. So typically now people are on handheld devices, I assume, and they're Wi-Fi enabled. So I know you talked about docking. We Again, we, like you, see less and less of that. There was a point when it was, everything's going to be done on the colleagues mobile. So this whole bring your own device piece. We're not seeing much of that come through. We're seeing more intelligent devices that the companies are asking the colleagues to use. Yeah, I think, 
I'm still very much an advocate of using a retail-owned device. You open up a can of worms with BYOD. If, if a colleague is using their own device and they drop it, then is the retailer going to pay for that? There's all sorts of you know privacy issues, getting the solution down onto a colleague's own device. How do you wipe it if they leave? Do you want them to have their own device on the sales floor because they can they can do other things? So it, it's fair to say, and I've seen you know, companies out there pushing, use your own phone or, or use our solution and you could use iOS and, and you know, so you could use your, your iPhone for it or your Android phone for it. Not a big fan. Scanning is much slower on a on a mobile device than it is on a dedicated scanner. You know, they're, they're not designed to be retail devices. Now, if you're a fashion retailer, I think, you know, that it could work. But if, you, if you're working in a industrial type, you know, grocer, really busy, I just don't think that bring your own device is... is the answer and the fact is now you can buy a really nice android device it will last you for five years and has a great spec you know for 400 pounds you know maybe even slightly less so then they're not as costly as they used to be so if you can buy a retail ruggedized device cheaper than you can buy an iphone why would you use an iphone no i agree it's one of those trends that's moved on so it was a big buzz and like you say i think once people have started to do the investigation work there's still far too many unanswered questions to make it make it viable and, and safe for the, the company and safe for the colleague. So we've touched on stock. Do you think that those organizations that sit on a lot of stock and have no ability to differentiate what's back stock versus stock on the sales floor, there's bigger opportunity there? I, I think of all of the projects that I've done, you think about what everything that takes place in the store. And so, you know, as a consultant, you get asked to look at everything. If ever there's a stock project, then, you know, immediately you think this is going to be great because it is the easiest area to find benefit. You've got five benefit areas for looking at stock. You've got, um, you've got productivity. You've got working capital reduction. You've got shrink. You've got OSA leading to sales. And, you know, you've got you've got margins. So when it comes to a stock project, even if you the sales pitch I generally give is, look, you, you, you're going to be doing pretty well anyway. So it'd be a bit arrogant to go and say, hey, you know, I've got all the answers. If you can find five to 10 percent of improvement and you've got all those benefit areas to tap, it's the easiest place to find benefit. And it's also one of the lowest cost um, ways to access that benefit. So if you're sat on stock and you think the levels are good, there's generally still ways you can bring it down, or, you know, make it simple for colleagues to operate in. I, I think it's, it's one area that I've never not delivered a significant number for all of the retailers I've worked with. And, and some of it is just really simple, you know, efficient, quick wins. Yeah, you can put new systems in it and get huge scale benefits, but I think it's one of the richest areas to look at and one of the lowest cost areas to access. And it's been interesting when we've worked together to do that pre and post analysis to quantify it for clients that we we jointly work with so they can tangibly see that time saving equal reinvestment opportunity. Those are those are amazing when you start to look at some of the smaller tweaks to the bigger prizes of new terminals or systems. It can be on scale, significant numbers across businesses to to make choices with well just let's go back to that example i gave earlier on and and so if there isn't the data available and how can you put a business case together but let's say we had a smart list that i've counted on the sales floor and i'm only going to to count in the stock room if we believe the stock should should be there well let's say that does save 90 percent of time in the stock room well what's that 90 percent worth now if the retailer doesn't know then are they going to be happy to, to make that change or an investment on the basis of what they think they might know so it's it's always you know, reassuring that if a retailer, you know, has 
the time for all of the tasks that take place in the estate and you can put a productivity factor in, you know, you've got a case. And often we work quite conservatively. Nobody wants to rip tons and tons of hours out and be super aggressive. So I'm always fairly conservative. If you can take 90%, how much of that can we realize? And that's the kind of thing that we've worked together on, Simon, is that, you know, you've, you can go in and measure the pre and post, but you can also make recommendations on, well, you know, what benefit is realizable. One of the battles with some finance teams you get is, well, we can take all of the time. But the reality is, you know, if you're, if you're saving time in a store where they're on a minimum standard of two, you're, you're not taking any cost out of that business. You are freeing that person up when they're on a minimum to, to be able to serve customers. So, you know, we have to have a blend, but you need the data. So, so the benefits are about releasing hours. Some of that you can take out. Some of it is about refocusing. But if you don't have the data, yes, you know, you're improving, but you don't know by how much. And, and if, you, if you want to take that to any kind of investment board or steering committee, if you haven't got a, a, a robust business case, then, then often it's going to falter. So that's the, the, the way we've very much worked together is, is that, that data measurement, you know, is the crux of how you can make a business decision. Yeah, and like you say, it's the, it's the science versus the practicality. So the, the pure maths may tell you one thing, but the, the practicality that, Actually, all you've done is freed up that person now for two hours a week to do something else because, as you say, they're on minimums. Is a different, different conversation. And, and you need can... to measure because the reality is that the, the one thing that, that does get people excited is I, I think retail operations is, is way down on a lot of businesses' radar. So one of the things I've seen in, in my career is you know, pitching for money. Uh, you know, when I was when I was permanently employed, you know, you're up against marketing and you're up against you know IT and categories and and if you want to do something to change cash accounting it just doesn't it's just not sexy right it just doesn't stack up brilliantly against well we want to do something for our loyalty scheme um so you've got to fight much harder in operations to get to get attention so but but i think the the obverse of that is if you can find a a percentage saving on such a huge cost base it's massive you know sales business cases are difficult to prove changing customer behavior is difficult to prove but if i know that you spend £100 million on managing the tills and I can take 10% of that out because we're putting in a number of different projects. That's real money. So I do I do often get, I look back and it's, it's always quite you know, amusing to me that it's very difficult to get operational agendas signed off. But actually, that's where the, the most cast iron benefits are. And, and I, I get I get omni-channel, so I, I know that it's critically important. For, for a lot of retailers, it's still 10% of the business. And yes, it's growing. And in the current environment, it's critically important, but your cost base is still traditional retail, and that's where there is still a ton of value. And I and I think that there's an opportunity that if people work with you know retail operations experts, it doesn't have to be me. There's there's value there to be to be had, and the market isn't set up for it. You've got major consultancies um, that you can bring in that are very expensive, but they don't have the experience. You know, you'll get a nice PowerPoint deck that will make some assumptions around how you might be able to save money, but it won't tell you how to do it. One of the things I'm seeing is it's not really well valued in the marketplace. You either have to go straight to the, the, the tier one consultancies or there's a very limited, limited number of companies that do specialize in this space. So I think that there's a lot of gold there to be mined if, if people want to look at it. Self-checkouts, they've been around for a while. I remember numerous debates in, in our time at Boots around ratios of checkouts to Manning and what percentage of transactions should you drive through them or fund through them. I know some of the techs moved on. I'm not sure the 
operational deployment conversations have to a degree. So when you're looking at self-checkouts, either for organizations that haven't got them or have got them, what kind of considerations do you go through? There's a there's a ton of things to look at for self-checkout, and it takes quite a bit of data mining to get to a good bedrock where I think you can make some decisions. You know, first of all, I think it's really important to know how, how much salary you're deploying um, to, to take payment. Um, so if you if you have that data, then then you're in, in, in great shape. Most retailers will have targets, you know, so what percentage share is self-checkout delivering? And I like to turn that into a weekly target per, because you've got to have that so that you know that, look, if I put three self-checkouts in that store, are they going to be busy enough to therefore generate a return on investment? You've got to look at basket size. If you if you are a big grocer and you've got many more transactions, more than, than eight items, then you need a different type of scope. And also you've got to realize you're going to get you know less potentially less share so there are sweet spots you know eight eight items is really strong but you also need to know what transactions are eligible for self-checkout so if you look at some of the convenience grocers if you take out lottery and pay point and tobacco you might be removing a quarter of transactions there so you've got to understand how you deploy how you're deploying that salary what your basket size is how many transactions are eligible for self-checkout and then you apply a share to, to what you think you know is, is self-checkout eligible. And minimum is going to be 40%. But I'm seeing retailers, you know, that uh, if your convenience grocery are about 40 up to about 60, math possibly 70 if you're if you're you know big box or sort of grocer. So there's still a lot of opportunity in self-checkout, but you do need to have all that data in, in place so that you can understand how many are eligible. And then you can apply a cost. So if I can move this many transactions to sell checkout, how much of that benefit can I realize? And then you've got to think about, do you want card only? Do you want card and cash? Do you want to have a scale? Do you want to have an attendant? Or do you want to man it from the kiosk? You know, there's a number of things to, to think about how you deploy that and also work very closely with the layout team so that self-checkout is deployed in a way that it makes sense for how the customer is going to shop you know get somebody walking past a self-checkout before they get to a mantle it needs a lot of evaluation but i still think there's, there's some really good value there and the market's changing some retailers are looking at building their own self-checkout now and if you go card only without a scale so you don't have any of those weight interventions you're looking at a cost that is 30 percent of what the original self-checkout costs were when we did it you know many many years ago self-checkout will become more prevalent because you'll see it in stores that, that previously it couldn't make a business return. But also with national living wage, retailers are looking at, well, how can we how can we drive more through solutions like self-checkout? Because the costs of national living wage are going to weigh heavily on people's bottom line. So quite a bit to think about with self-checkout, but it's I still see it as a as a as a really good opportunity to drive labor efficiency. There's not one size that fits all in an estate, so it, some shops may benefit massively from having it, others may not be as suitable, so you've got to almost look at it on a store demographic format basis, is that right? Yeah, I, I think so. I, you do tend, you do get some thinking that says, you know, every store should look the same, but all the retailers I've worked with, and I've done six self-checkout reviews now, everybody's doing it on return on investment, so you'll see... You'll see some stores that, that some chains that have self-checkout in some stores and not in others, and that is because there are local there are there are local differences. It's for me, it's less demographics, it's just more other transactions there. You know, if you've got somebody, if you've got a, a minimum of one or two on the lanes and they can deliver a large amount of the transactions, how can you save money if you put self-checkout in? 
and that and that labor is still there self-checkout has to enable you to run off a lower minimum for longer and you can't do that if you don't have the hours there in the first place and the transactions there in the first place and if they are there then you can remove them it's moved on massively i know when i first worked with ncr to put self-checkout into boots we were looking at gosh you know, wouldn't it be amazing if 10 percent of customers you know would use this service you know we're talking you know, a long time ago. And now any retail I work with, you know, everybody wants a minimum of 40%. I know, I know retailers are targeting 80%. And that's self-checkout and customers using their own devices or the scan and shop devices in stores. So expect to see a lot more of it. In the current climate, as we're recording, it's lockdown. So as we come out of that and whatever happens with easing of social distancing, it'll be interesting to see how that transpires into shoppers behavior and awareness either being able to do it on my device so i don't have to touch anybody else's device or or interact with any anybody may grow as well as the whole self-checkout piece and not having to speak to somebody through a screen so i think it's going to be interesting times around that that whole payment self-payment non-human interaction payment piece over the next what six 12 18 months we know the norm is going to be different we don't know quite what it's going to look like but you know you can see some retailers have done some fabulous work getting themselves in a place now where they they are helping customers to social distance but it changes everything so if, if you're looking at transaction standards well actually you're going to get slower throughput right now because we've got social distancing so whereas you know you'd be stood right next to the person in front of you and, and loading up the belt and then as soon as you're your, you know, the customer in front has, has finished packing, you're stood next to them. I think we're going to see slower throughput for a little bit because we're mindful of, of you know, protecting everyone through social distancing. So there's certainly some work retailers need to look at. Well, what does that, what does that mean for how I deploy salary for my transaction times? But I do think self-checkout is going to benefit from, from this. So, you know, it's, it's a really challenging time for everybody. And, you know, it's going to be difficult to for a fully enable workforce to be in place. You've got people isolating, got people worried about their own health. Self-checkout can play a role in helping to, to um, serve customers. I think one of the things that I've seen is, is you know, that there are questions around, well, how, what about the hygiene of touching a screen? So, you know, there are some retailers are looking at, you know, how they clean self-checkouts. And I think it will help on a journey to how much more can you your own device or how many fewer button presses can you get on self-checkout. I still think it's um, got a lot of room to grow, uh, but certainly in the marketplace, retailers that are predominantly self-checkout or grocers, we know the demand that's going into grocery. So I think it will certainly see an increase in, in usage, but I do think there may need to be some solutions to reduce the amount of touches and it will help with customers' own own devices. But I know the targets right now for that are really low. But if you think about the self-checkout journey, that started around what does 10% look like? And when contactless payment came in, bumbled along for one at 1% for years. And I'm seeing that as high as you know 40% of, of all transactions in some retailers and working with our, our contactless. So using your own phone, I think that'll become you know more important. But I don't think you're going to see much self-checkout in fashion. It just really doesn't doesn't work that well in terms of the you know the physical solutions you see but having customers using their own device because they've started shopping online they may have gone into store can they finish that on their phone i think you'll see a different self-checkout in fashion than the, the kind of things you're seeing in grocery right now yeah contact that's interesting and i fully support the, the increase in the limit we did some work with a retailer a couple of years ago and their self-checkout participation was good 
their average basket spend played right in, into the limit at the time, but the teams weren't educated to help customers when they went to put their card in just tap. They had some POS on the, the chip and pin terminal that said if it's under £30, tap your card. You don't really read that as your, your card's in before you thought. The benefit just to change, I think it was a couple of percentage points of shoppers to contactless in a time savings was millions of pounds a year because the differential in terms of payment time was so extreme. I think the interesting on self-checkout is the how do you solve the attendant call, the red light of doom of you can't do something, there's an unexpected item on the on the basket, the bit that drives everybody mad because that's still an interaction point. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the key KPIs that, that isn't actually well known by most retailers. You know, what you want to know is how many interventions am I getting? And, you know, for a good number of retailers out there, the, the only way they can currently get that data is by having an engineer go to the device and download it. There are some solutions coming which are available now where you can seal that data centrally. But how many interventions you get is, is critical. And, and I think that's why you're seeing some retailers now trying card only with no scale because card payment is, is, is faster if you're paying contactless than, than you know, somebody depositing a note and a coin. You don't get notes going in first time or some of the coins might not pass first time. We know the issues with weight. Every self-checkout with a scale is is checking the weight of the item versus what's on the, the, the weight database. So if you move to card only, no scale, you, you're reducing the number of things that can take longer and you're reducing those kind of interventions. You know, weight is a, is a, is a really big one. So I, I see a massive difference in attendant policy if you go card only no scale because you're actually seeing 90% plus of customers check out without needing help. Now there is the view oh well you know what does that mean from a shrink perspective and that's where your layout and how you attend it becomes critical and, and for some retailers it'll be like we'll have an attendant there because we have enough transactions to warrant an attendant you know one person's manning eight hills that makes sense where you've got your smaller installs of two or three self-checkouts you cannot afford to have a, an attendant there all day so you might have the fractional model where somebody's manning that from from the kiosk or, or from a belt, belted lane and then giving them really good sight lines maybe having cameras over over the self-checkouts some of those are dummies but even just having a view you know there are solutions now where you can buy a, a device which clips onto the self-checkout and the customer can see themselves it's, it's just like a webcam no data is being stored. It is literally there just to give people the, 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 the thought that they're being watched, even though they aren't. So there's things you can do to, to make customers feel like there's still security there, but you can access a lower cost by not having a full-time attendant, having somebody man the till and man the self-checkout and reducing those interventions because you've gone with a simpler setup. All those touch points you talk about. There's loads of mileage in that. It's no different from stock. You know, you might have a really good install, but if you can remove the number of button presses, you know, that's that's crucial because people just enjoy the experience more. You get better throughput and it's it's just simpler to use. There's some retailers, I won't name them, that I feel like I've done well if I've not had an intervention when I paid at the self-checkout. I expect it. There's somewhere I know it's going to be smooth now, whether that's their setup or not but there, there are a number where there must be more interventions than not even when you're just stood there shopping so it yeah it's interesting and, it, and like I say it's interesting they've not really got those statistics 
yeah, some no. stuff we gather on measurement things that you think you could automate in the modern day and age you think yeah, yeah, yeah. the more data the better but i think one of the things that's really important about having a really simple operation is understanding who makes the decisions and you need to get everybody around the table when you look back to stock and you say well are there paper reports well some reports that, that i still see printed or, or count this sent down are because the category manager wants you to count everything in their um, in their category or the finance team wants you to reset all negatives to zero because you know that's having having a, an effect on their reports and who's making the decisions here is, is and, and what's most important what's most important for the customer and, and I think having colleagues doing less operational tasks being more available for customers is more important than counting a negative because I've done loads of data analysis on things like negative stock counts the vast majority of them are only wrong by one. So if you had your stock system reset automatically to zero overnight, so if you go minus one overnight, it resets to zero, you'd sell yourself more accurate. And if you have a minimal intervention model, which is what I believe in for counting, you only count when I've got too little or too much. Don't count it otherwise, because uh, it's likely to be right. And, and you see how deflating it is when somebody's been sent a list from head office count our top 20 selling lines, and you've counted 380 bottles bottles of vitamins and the stock file said 382 what a waste of time and effort and it's it's deflating and, and if you've got a number of items to count people get count fatigue so you get less accurate when it comes to tasks you know who is making the decisions if the central team wants you to count everything on perpetual inventory counts because they like to have that data is that really adding value if it's available for sale and the stock file is broadly accurate why are you asking for that task to be done? Why are we asking people to count lists of negatives when actually if you do the data, most lines aren't that wrong. You could reset them to zero and just save all that time. And then you've got a much smaller model day. You know, what are you asking people to do on a daily basis? Do things that are value adding, not value destroying. So I'm a real believer in just trying to really focus some some good, strong, robust conversations You know, within a retailer to, to try and get the result the person on the front line wants, which is how can you help me do my job better and how can we make sure we're only doing things that stack up and add value? Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying and we're big advocates of your approach in terms of minimal intervention. We see people that count top 250 lines each week have teams of people counting stock and they seem to invest a lot of effort. Over time, it becomes more and more inaccurate because they're yo-yoing the stock file up and down. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the big principle that I totally believe in, and, every, and this is driven by planners, you know, so most planner systems have the concept of a, a minimum display quantity or a minimum presentation level. And generally, you know, that's what you're supplied to. So yeah, get, get people to look at that. If you've got stock that is, is looking like it's vulnerable or is going to become a gap or is a gap, it's lower than that minimum quantity then yeah of course get people to check that because it's wrong check when things are wrong and likewise you know if you're able to get most of your supply chain to deliver in a way that it fits on the shelf then yeah get people to count if if they're putting a lot of stock away in the stock room because that's not right you know so exclude things like promotional lines or really bulky lines like uh, nappies or, or tissues for example or really fast selling lines like like coke but if you strip those out those 95% of other lines that you're putting in your stock room, they may be going there because your stock file is inaccurate. It's worth counting those because you won't get resupplied and that helps your working capital. To, to, to the point we both just made, getting somebody to count hundreds of, of items you know, across every, every store, every week, there's a huge amount of labour there. 
try and work on a concept of if it's wrong, if it's lower than my minimum quantity, I should count it. If it's greater than a, than a shelf capacity and we know that it shouldn't break that, then count it. Otherwise, I don't, you know, don't count it at all. Leave it alone and you'll find that you'll save a ton of time. Everything will be in good shape because you're only taking action when you know something's not right. So I, I'm a big believer in that. In conclusion to our store operations conversation, counting less is more. And there's lots of opportunity, whether that be people, process or systems in that whole operational part. I mean, we've not even touched on on cash office, but even, even there. Thanks for joining us, Julian. One question we're asking everybody on the podcast is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Best bit of business advice I've been given. Do you know what? I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna give that to um, to you actually, Simon, because it's not about. For me, the biggest thing for me was moving from a paid job to being a consultant and running my own business. And when we spoke about me and, and setting up my business, I remember you saying to me, "Look, you'll be fine. You know, with all of the work that you've done and, and the the operational projects you've delivered, there's a lot of value there." So, I, I think for me, and it comes to every everybody who's either looking to set up their own business or has taken on a new job. If you go and spend time in stores and you understand the operation and you talk to people and you're open to ideas, you can you can build a really solid plan. And so two things there. One is, you know, believe in what you can do, but the answers are in stores. So I think that's probably the, the, the one thing that, that, that I saw from a leader that came into to Boots who just kept saying the answers are in stores. And that's that's where I would say if you spend your time in there, talk to the teams there, get the data from there. That is how you build your plan. Perfect. Well, I'll take that then. Honoured to have that best bit of business <laughs> well, advice. Well, look, I, I think there's still tons of value out there, Simon, and I know all the projects that we've worked on. There's some really quick ways of finding value, and it's always been, been great fun working on operations with you and hope to do so and keep doing this very much for the long term. But it's been great to talk about operations. I mean, it's, it's not something you get to do that often. As I said, it's not the number one topic if you if you look and read retail you don't tend to hear these kind of conversations where, where you can get down into the weeds uh, and work out how you can improve things so it's been it's been great to do and i hope it's proved valuable for, for people listening to it that there's still some really good value to be had out there and even if you're 95 percent of the way there that five percent that can be added is is absolutely huge so it's been great fun thanks for inviting me on no you're welcome and if people want to find you you're on LinkedIn, you've got the website, which is insideops.co.uk, or if they can't find you, then they can come through or some, and we can introduce you. So plenty, plenty of channels to get in touch with Julian. Thanks, Julian. Take care. No, that's great. Thank you. Cheers, Simon.